Should I Get Bangs? I am your host, Julia Razi, and today's guest is just the coolest. He's been uh, in Pitch Perfect, Never Have I Ever. He's part of Freestyle Love Supreme. He was in Britney Love Runs a Marathon. Just, just a great person. Please welcome to the show. Hey, guys. I'm Utkar Shambutkar. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. I haven't seen you... In like 12 years. I did a show of yours at the UCB where Shockwave, Chris Sullivan and I, we used to do this thing. We still do every now and then where we go to these variety comedy shows. And then essentially I'm there to like do a rap recap of what's happened throughout the show. And so we'll sit and watch and Shock will take notes and I'll sort of just like, I mean, this is 12 years ago. So I was probably high as a kite and a few PBRs deep. And we would just kind of like watch, get drunk, rap, and then just see what would happen after. And you were there with your co-host. Margo, that was a yeah. long, long time ago. It was. It was a show called Strip Stories for anyone listening who cares about my career. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, we did that show for 10 years. Strip Stories? And what was the... It was, uh, it was like one of the, it was one of the first storytelling shows, like, uh, in New York, we started in 06 or 07. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, usually comedians, all different sorts of people telling uh, funny sex stories, but like not right. just for the salaciousness. Usually it was always like about like, a, it had like heart to it. And then we'd play games and then we always had a musical guest end it. And you guys killed it. I think that was the first time I saw you perform. Totally. That's the only um, time you and I have ever been in the same room. But that's crazy to me because yes, but it's true. I feel like we're friends. I think, I mean, I've followed your career f- since then. Yeah, me sure. too. And I always, and it's so, that's why the internet, like I, I, I love and hate social media for many reasons, but like with someone like you, it's been really nice because I feel like we've cheered each other on virtually. And I've sort of always been like, oh, we will hang out again. And then my husband was came home one day and was like, Oh, I played basketball with Utkarsh. I think you know him or something. And I was like, Yes. And so yeah. it's gonna happen. It's funny because like you and Will met entirely different people. And I'll just be like, I mean, this is 12 years ago. So I, yeah. I will tell you my recollection. My recollection now it makes more sense when you say what the show is about, strip stories. Yeah. My recollection was that I gently inquired as to your um status about if you were single or not i my recollection is i was like she's oh were you you, hitting on me i don't think it would have you could constitute it say it was called hitting on you (laughs) because i don't think it would have been it would have been something way more casual or like just it would have been like a a flirt a flirtation a gentle flirtation I love a gentle flirtation. No, you didn't. You did not like it. My no! reco- my, rec- my recollection was that there was a there was a strong denial, a very clear denial, which was is very is super helpful. And oh, that I wasn't single. No, no, I don't know if you were single or not or what. I wasn't. I, but you were for sure not interested in what I was selling. You were no, like, 
I'll tell I you probably, honestly. I probably was shit-faced, by the way. No, it definitely wasn't that I, because I actually, I was in a terrible relationship. If you did the show, if I believe correctly, it was like 2011, 2012, like around it, No, it would have been 2009 or 10. Okay. Yep. I was dating a very possessive pathological liar. Oh my gosh. Who was gaslighting me and threatening to kill himself if I ever left him. Oh my God. So I was in that space that I don't know if you've ever been in this space relationship wise, where like, I knew I needed to get out, but I felt trapped. And so anytime another human being spoke to me in any sort of flattering way, I like didn't know how to, I like forgot how to be an individual. Oh yeah. I mean, it makes way more sense now if you're in in pain and you're hurting, not that I think you still would have been like, Hey guy, I think you need to back off. But, um, (laughs) but it makes more sense for sure. Yeah. So, and then Will met a completely different person. Like when I met you, I was just, I was a daily weed. I was a daily marijuana user. I was Mm -hmm. probably a daily drinker. I was having a lot of fun and the creative was just a, a means to the party, right? To like socializing, having fun. Let's get drunk. Let's Let's get loose. Like there were no ties or loyalties as far as relationships were concerned. You talk about like being, I've been gaslit. I've been the gaslighter. I've like, mm-hmm. like I've, I've been on both sides of the mental health uh, debacle that is a toxic relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went to LA really to just try and clean up. I was like, so, I'm, I went sorry. to LA in 2010 and I was like, I got to clean up a little bit. I did pitch perfect. I got some money in my pocket. And then it was like a little bit. I mean, money. Yeah, it was a lot. It was a big deal for me at the time. It was like 30 grand to do that movie or something. I mean, before taxes. And at 26 or 27, I think 30 grand, maybe it wasn't the most I had gotten, but I had certainly spent all the money that I had from my McDonald's commercials up until that point. (laughs) Wait, so it's so interesting because it, well, to New York, to me, you know, when you talk about like drinking and smoking weed and trying to get to the party, like, I do think that is a symptom of living in New York and doing comedy because I definitely went through phases with comedy as a performer where my biggest goal was to get to the party after. And it's really hard because you're working in a party. Yeah, it's tough because you're, also, my sense of validation, my self-worth was coming from the exterior, right? So it's yeah. like, if I do your show and there aren't enough people in the audience, or I do your show and I don't get enough attention, a specific mm-hmm. kind of attention yeah. from uh, either somebody in the industry or somebody who, uh, you know, finds me attractive. Like, I now I've, like, done a lot of work. So you grow up... South Asian in America, in the suburbs of Maryland, and mm-hmm. standard. Are your parents immigrants? Yeah. And you were born here? Yeah. And so you grow up, and every billboard, every television show is like, hey, this is what's attractive, and you're not it. Yeah. And so you're constantly just seeking that validation from your peers, but it's skewed. It's not like, validation for who I am. It becomes like a validation of like, want me? Why am I not good enough? Like everything becomes sort of like an apology. Yep. 
you're catering and pandering to what you think the 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 elite of your society want you to be, um, whether that's in elementary school, middle school, high school. Um, um, and so there's like a weird thing of like, okay, I can rap and I do comedy and like that's what gets me attention. And then when oh, I do yeah. that, when I do that, it makes me like 75% of the six two blonde hair, blue eyed guy. So like well, just, yeah, just so you know, my parents, I'm also a child of immigrants. And so uh, even yeah. Italian. And even though Italian is technically Caucasian, being raised, and I'm curious if you agree with this, like being raised, I think by being raised by immigrants already bonds the children of immigrants like that's already a thing because you're battling old school and new school kind of ways of being and also the whole assimilation so it's like I wanted to assimilate and be like cool and normal like the American kids which to me in my mind was blonde tall 90210 yeah popular wanted and the challenge is is like and even on the flip side my parents were really like pro assimilation Mm-hmm. They were very culturally Indian, but they weren't like, I mean, the challenges is they tried their best, but Same. the fact of the matter is, is like before my dad got to the U S at the age of 30, he had never thrown a baseball. Yeah. Like he played cricket. Like yeah. <laughs> he didn't know who, who Bruce Springsteen was. He, maybe he had heard of him. Like my parents played badminton and field hockey and they were PhD scientists and like, you never seen a football game. So like, or been to a baseball game or a basketball game. Like my dad probably shot a basketball when he was 35 for the first time or some shit like that. So they're trying to assimilate me into a country where they have no anchor. They don't have any experience with what's going on. So it's like, let's go play catch. And my dad's like, how? Uh, And and not, not even in like a, it's just facts. It's like there's some. It's like if my my kid, my daughter was like, "Let's do a TikTok." I'd be like, "I don't know how to do that." Yeah, <laughs> I have no clue. But I mean, I'd have way more. I've got. I, I have way more of a, a, a leg up on my father that did than my. Well, father you also have did. Google. Yeah, we got Google. We got all kinds of shit. <laughs> but anyway, even when they tried their best, the biggest thing was like there was such a break, such a chasm between life experience. Like when I was a kid, monkeys used to come down and fight with my dog. Not that that's like all that what India is, but some parts of it, you know, that happens. Um, And I'm like, cool. Uh, I've got like Cub Scouts or whatever. It's like very different, different upbringing. So like when I'm in New York, I'm deep in the external validation and I'm yeah. like, I got to get fucked up so that I don't think about the fact that I messed up your show or I didn't get this or somebody didn't want to like give me a kiss on the cheek or whatever it is. Right. And you realize you're like, this, I mean, you don't, I didn't realize you just, you burn out. So I like moved to LA. I was like, let me get, you know, clean living and get back together. But my value system was still based on my career. So it's like, if I don't get an audition, if I don't get a job, I'm a bad person. Mm-hmm. So I try and I'm very angry, right? Because there's a sense of entitlement. And this is the problem with our industry is that it's not, it's a subjective industry. So it's not like sports, right? You go to the Olympics, which are happening right now. 
you run 400 meters, whoever runs it fastest wins the medal. And everyone goes, yeah, there's clear evidence that that person, at least this time, was the best. But, you know, when I was in high school, it was like, you get the high school award for acting, which doesn't mean shit. It just means you acted a little bit more than other, you just did, (laughs) you just did it. Yeah. And did you get the award? I got some theater excellence thing, which, I mean, I maybe I earned it. I don't know. Who knows? That's a big flex. I'm just kidding. I know, right? (laughs) And then in college, it's a smaller pool. And you're like, okay, the, the goal in college is like you do a main stage performance, which is like, you know, the big deal. Where'd you go to college? I went to NYU for acting, which is, you know... In a mind fuck in and of itself, um, the idea of university for acting, it's like teaching, it's preschool basically for a hundred grand or however much it was. Were your parents supportive of your career or your major choice in college? Yeah. I mean, I think they were really afraid. Yeah. But you see, the thing is, is like you end up having to prove yourself to everyone. So it's like my parents were like, cool, you can do acting, but you also have to apply to 10 academic schools. So I applied to like 20 colleges or 17 colleges or some shit like that, which is absurd. And then you go and you do like, hey, like I won a theater of excellence award. Like I'm doing all the main stages in college. Like I'm hitting the clubs. I'm doing the New York and Poets Cafe. I'm going to open mics. I'm battling. I just joined this group called Freestyle Love Supreme. We're performing it just for laughs. Like Oh, I got an off-Broadway play. I got nominated for a Lucille Lortel Award. And like slowly but surely, they're like, oh, maybe he doesn't suck. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like slowly <laughs> but surely. But my parents like are working to cure cancer. They, they're PhD biochemists. They're doing like, I mean, they're also scientists. So the mind, like I said, it's merit-based, right? There's calcu- yeah. like, can you calculate success in our field? You can't. And- well, what I was going to say is like, not only is it subjective, but the thing that I've realized recently, and I think this is probably more stand-up specific, but maybe not, is um, I don't want whatever it, you know, like the big it, the all out fame, whatever, as much as some other people. Like I finally come to peace with that, that like, I enjoy what I do. I'm thrilled whenever I get a job, but to... Some people, quote unquote, succeed more, however you want to call it, work more because they are like laser focused. Yeah. And, and I and it's just not that's not my mindset. But I, I mean, I think you can be both. I think that I'm laser focused and also I don't it's not my value system. It, I think I think what I'm saying is there's some people who they're laser focused and it is their value system. Yeah. It's something tough. about how can it's you like be a, like- Yeah. That combo sometimes pushes you sort of in a ruthless direction. Yeah. And I think you can be pretty unhappy. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not fun. So, I mean, I would call my mom and be like, I'm going to quit. They don't like me. And I know I did well, but they're going to hire this ethnicity or that ethnicity. And, you know, they hired an Italian guy to be Indian. <laughs> I think that's what <laughs> they did. I think that's what they did. I mean, he's a lovely actor and he's a great person. Max Minghella on the Facebook movie or whatever. Oh, um, yeah. He played an Indian guy. And I remember just being like, no, they can't even. It was so sad for the community because there was like one role, just one. 
And you're like, yeah, somebody's going to get that and it'll move the needle. And then <laughs> fucking Max Minghella, who, as I said, is a friend and he's a great actor, but he is not Indian, um, ended up getting the role. But I used to be like, mom, I just fuck these people. And she would just tell me like, like any immigrant mother or specifically Indian, she'd go, just move back home. You can live yes. in the base. <laughs> you can live in the basement and you can figure it out. Like, why don't you come here? Maybe you can teach at the high school or just quit. You shouldn't be in this much pain. Yeah. And thank God I have a problem with authority and can't take advice because I was like, no, I'm not moving into the goddamn basement. But yeah, I'm the opposite. I would, every time my mom told me to quit, I was like, okay. And I would quit for a little while <laughs> oh, and cry so about sweet. it. I moved back to my hometown for a year. Which, which is where? Uh, Belmont, Massachusetts. Where? How old were you? I was 27. So what prompted the, the move back? I was... Um, do you remember the moment? Com- I do. It was uh, 2006. And I went to... I was. I had been with my... This wasn't the, the terrible relationship. This was a previous one. I'd been with my college boyfriend longer than any of our friends. And we went to one of our friends' apartments who had... I think only they'd only been together like three years and I'd been with my college boyfriend for seven at that point or eight. And I was a quote unquote struggling artist. Cause that's very cool and sexy in New York to be struggling and just like drunk and broke and all that stuff. And we went to this friend's apartment and I forget what they did for work, but they had like a sofa instead of a futon and like glasses that matched. Yep. And they were, they were married And there was something in my head that was like married, settled, money. I got a quick comedy and my dad is a landlord in my hometown. So he has apartments. Mm. So he like gave me an apartment for me. And and then I got married my first time. Oh. And I like tried. It it almost, this is a terrible, this might be a terrible analogy, but it was almost to me in my mind, it was like going to conversion camp. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. To not be an artist. Because so, something might- so you you went to this person's apartment. So it wasn't a professional experience. It was like a life thing where you were like, oh, my life isn't where I want it to be. You did a little compare and despair. It was uh, compare and despair, but it, it was also career because I didn't, that thing that you just described about the quitting was how I was. And I'm not blaming my mom. She just cared. But I kind of learned it. I didn't understand the concept of try, fail, try, fail, succeed. What, what did you do in Massachusetts? What, what, like, what was your job? Um, I did copywriting, but then I started coming to New York, uh, every, it started as once a month and then it became every other week and then it became every week. To and do- I would to quote unquote do comedy. But what I was really doing was using comedy as an excuse to get wasted be very inappropriate, uh, gray area cheat, let's say. And, uh, and then I would take the bus, not a train, couldn't afford it, take the bus back to my fake life in Boston and plan my wedding. Wow. Yeah, it was like a real unraveling. And then I got divorced a year later. We're still friends. It's all good. <laughs> divorced? So then you got divorced. Yeah. And so does the divorce happen while you're still in Massachusetts? We had, we got married and my husband very smartly said, Hey, I think we should move back to New York because you're never home. 
And I was like, fuck, but I have this new life in New York. Like basically I was trying to have these, I wanted to try out the stable life because for some reason in my mind, stability and being an entertainer didn't go together. They don't. Like I, I had this idea that like stable, normal, quote, normal, yeah, assimilated no. American life nope. is living in the burbs. Yep. Having a nine to five. Yep. Being married, having a China cabinet. And then I would take the bus to the extreme opposite, which was wasted, sleeping on my friend's couch. Hell and then yeah. my my husband was like, wait, we need to merge. And I was like, oh, the two can't merge. And then what happens? And then we were in New York living together. I don't even think we lasted a year. Who left and, uh, who? I suggested it. I pretty much controlled everything. I was the one that suggested we get married. I was the one that suggested we move. I was the one that suggested we got divorced. And he unfortunately at the time was like an, a yes man. But we were also together since we were 19. So you're just like, this is what I know. Whatever we do, we're ride or die. Yeah. And we were just also like, we never argued. It was very passive aggressive. We just like, yesed each other. And he also mm. was okay with me quitting because he didn't want to see me hurt. So Aww. it was just like, I know. So like we, what we was just his never, name? What am I allowed to know? Let's just call him. No, no, his name's Tim. He doesn't, he, I did a whole solo show about this. He's the coolest. Okay. I love him. If listen, I'm, I'm just going to call him Carl since you okay, won't tell Carl. me you, since you won't tell me his real name. <laughs> it's okay. His name's since Tim. you refuse to tell me <laughs> Carl, wherever you are, whatever your real name is, <laughs> I love you. So Tim, Tim's like, Tim's like, yo, girl, you got to stop playing with my heart. Kind of. I mean, we just, we Playing a lot of Damien Rice. We needed to be separate to grow up. And then he got remarried and has like two amazing twins. You're a fucking asshole, Tim. We text each other on birthday. I mean, like, we're great. Yeah, I don't trust him. <laughs> but I, but I'm so then you go so you're in New York then after am 10, I the you're best like, in the pod now this is you, cool well I mean we live that same life which is like just like night owls night hawks drinking shots like half the time for the people listening I who don't do comedy or haven't lived sort of in a city nightlife kind of thing when you're in your early mid twenties you don't even really get paid in money no. unless you bring a you certain amount of people. You get paid in drink tickets. And then I used to make under the table deals with the owners of the clubs that I used to rap at. And I'd be like, if you let me bring in X amount of university students and you turn a blind eye uh, because they're underage, these places have all closed down now. So whatever. Statute of limitations is way far gone. Yeah. But he would give me money under the table. So I would go and do these battles. If you won the rap battle, you get a hundred dollars and a bottle of vodka. You oh. get free drink tickets. Plus he would pay me X amount of dollars per, per person I would bring in to these events. And I didn't see it as cheat as cheating or anything at the time. Although now it seems obviously morally dubious, but like, because I was making money doing something that I would have done for free anyways, yeah. And that was like, um, but the point is, is like, yeah, we, we grind hard and it's, you get paid in booze and alcohol. And then and when those, you get those drink tickets, the worst is when you would find one in your pocket the next morning and you feel like 
I would be like, oh my God, I didn't use this. I didn't like get everything I could out of the venue. That never you, happened to me. <laughs> you always, always use them? <laughs> I never once have left a drink <laughs> ticket untended. Um, but like, yeah, so I was burning it at both ends. The relationships, yeah. the way I treated people around me, the people I attracted. Like, I don't want to take all the blame. Everybody's going through their own thing. But I'll certainly say I can only speak to my behavior in the relationships that I was in. And it wasn't r- respectful in, in, at, compared to the person that I am and and say that I am today. So it's it was like a young dude trying – if you had, if I had gotten married at 25 – what is that? Sorry, that's my mom. You want to get it? Mom, I'm mom, I'm doing a podcast. Oh, okay. I'm doing a podcast with me. Julia. Her Hi. mom. Hi. Her mom is Italian. Okay. Okay. Call me later then. What's your favorite thing about me? Oh, my me favorite thing about you? Yeah. Is your sense of humor, Rutkash? What's your least favorite thing about me? <laughs> that uh, you. What's your least, my least favorite? Is uh, sometimes you uh, don't have much of a uh, short fuse. You have a short fuse sometimes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but. No. Least favorite. Least favorite is when you. Angry, sometimes you don't know what you're saying. That's true. We'll get into that right now. Yeah. Okay. Call me, okay? Can you call me after you're done? Yeah, you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Just wanted to chat with you about something. Okay. Love you. All good. Bye, love you. Bye, love Love you. you. I feel like I should call my mom and ask her the same questions. What'd she say? My sense of humor. Oh, and then when I get angry. Yeah. Oh my God. I have a serpent's tongue for sure. Do you say things you regret? You know what? I don't know if regret. I regret the way in which I tell people the truth. Sometimes. Somebody says like, when you talk about like emotional abuse with people you love, right? We're all like, my parents and I, we screamed a lot when I was a kid. I'm like used to a household that yells. Same. Are we the same person? Yeah, maybe. But like the the (laughs) relationships that I was in, like they, most people don't yell in their families. Isn't that crazy? It is a little bit weird to me. They don't yell at each other and they don't scream. And so when I started dating these like California, LA types, when I went to NYU, they were like, what is this? This is not how we communicate. My parents yep. love each other. They dance together. They kiss. My dad pinch like squeezes my mom's butt. They're still in love. And I'm like, fuck, I don't like you. <laughs> I'm yes. Like, I'm probably very jealous of the of what you have and how easy it is for you to move through your world without ever feeling like there's something wrong with you intrinsically. And like I think I really started, I wanted to be with these people because it's like, you know, you're beautiful, you're this, you're that, you're talented, you're sweet. But there was like such a wall of that my self-worth wasn't, my image of myself did not match their image of me. Mm-hmm. Like it was so much lower. So I was like, fuck you. Why are you with me? I don't like you. I'm super jealous of what you have. I resent you for being so happy. How can you be happy with me? 
go fuck yourself. You're like, you're like reading my dad. The reason why my first marriage didn't work was because he was white, white guy, very functional family and wouldn't argue with me. Yeah. Then when our relationship ended, I sought out a very toxic one Mm -hmm. because that seemed more familiar. Like, yeah, that's not good either. And no. And now it's balance. My husband now is like, he's always like, he's like, why do you always wait to ask me questions when you're in the other room? Because I yell things from the other room. Like we won't, I'll say nothing for 10 minutes in the same room. And then I go in the kitchen. I'm like, hey, well, and he's like, why do you like volume so much when you're talking? I'm like, because so that's how funny. my family communicates. Yeah. I mean, I personally still have a long way to go. Like, um, I think I'm way closer to who I want to be than I was when I met you. Like the person Will met is way more balanced. Like the person Will- Is your Will, wife loud? Yeah. My wife and I, we are strong-minded people who fight, but we got married very quickly. We were in a pandemic for 18 months and we've had to navigate how to be co-parents and married and share space together respectfully and maintain emotional intimacy, physical intimacy, like uh, uh, mutual respect uh, in terms of space and process. Like it's a, it's a lot. It's a lot. Is she South Asian? No, she is Samoan. She's from New Zealand. Okay, cool. My wife is a badass. She's so fucking cool and she's so strong and so tough, um, which is what, I need. I need somebody who's like, no, no, this is no. This is a big no. Yep. That's how my husband is. She's also very, very sweet. She's the most selfless person I've ever met. So that's like sort of her cross to bear where she will put everyone before herself. And then sometimes it's a little too late for the me time. Like sometimes the break occurs and you're like, no, 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 no. The manicure was scheduled for last week. Like you should have done, you should have gone then if that makes any sense. But I yeah. think what my mother was just saying about how getting angry. Yeah. Like sometimes I'll get super pissed. And somebody said, when you really love someone like this probably doesn't, this probably doesn't, um, what do you call it? Apply to your normal, like of a fucking, if you get mad at somebody at the airport or some shit like that. But like when you really love someone and you want to treat them that with the highest quality of love and respect. And then the, the word emotional abuse is thrown around a lot. And, but if you want to be, so let's not use that word. Let's say if you're being a sort of emotionally insensitive, or if you are hurting someone's feelings, that's what it's called. Telling someone the truth, regardless of its efficacy, right? But telling someone that, that you love, the tr- and I'm talking about like the five people you love most in the world. Mm-hmm. Telling your most loved ones the truth without compassion is going to hurt their feelings. Yeah. And that is a lesson that when I am angry, I forget. Mm. And I go, this is this and you did that and I keep score and remember six this. Like I have a very stereotypical. Stereo- Wait, my mom's calling. Oh, Sick. Should I answer? Yeah, why not? Hopefully she won't get home. Mommy? Oh, I forgot to call him. I'm doing a radio show right now. Okay. Do you want to... Wait, can I, can I ask you a question on the radio? Do you mind? Yeah. 
Uh, what is your favorite thing about me? What, what's the favorite thing about me? No, about me. About you? Yeah. Uh, you are, I'm proud that you are a good mother. Okay. Okay, I'll take it. Right. And then, and then, and then, what's your least favorite thing about me? The thing you don't like about me? When you insist, insist, I say, Julia, I don't like this, uh, you know, uh, idea. You insist, uh, you ignore me. Say, uh, you don't understand. I gotta do it. Forget about. Oh, when I don't like take your feelings into consideration. Uh, yeah, uh? Like when I tell you how to feel, basically? No, no. When, when uh, you feel, when you feel uh, the daughter got to take care of you. <laughs> Just when something uh, we decide to do, I say no, you say yes. Okay. All right. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I kavish. Can, I'm no sorry. Beach. Can you call daddy? I forgot to call him. Sorry. Okay. All right. Love you. I'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Bye. That was so fun that both our moms called. So, well, it is a Saturday morning. <laughs> it's mom time. I'm going out to lunch. I'm home visiting my family. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So I'm going to see her in a couple hours. Um, so what are we talking about? Well, I think my mom just said it about me, which is telling someone the truth without compassion. And that's what she's referring to. Like, she has a lot of anxiety about things that <sighs> I find myself talking to my parents specifically my mom mostly the way and then afterwards I'm like fuck I do the same shit you know what I mean like a lot of the criticisms there there is nothing like spending time with your for me immediate family my parents and my sister to mirror back every complaint my husband has about me every complaint I have about myself and being like oh but then the, yeah. it's, it can be quite hopeless too, because you're like, well, <laughs> "What? Are, what? I've been this way since I can remember." But you how, can improve. Well, I—I I mean, I certainly think I've improved, and honestly, like, I had to like um, seek out like what we call it, like outside help. Like, few oh, things had few things had to happen. First, I had to get sober. Oh yeah, so let's go back to that. So you moved to LA, and LA kind of implements sobriety in some ways, right? I mean, I crashed and burned. It's like this story is like something I've told many, many times. Excuse me, but like, yeah, I drank too much. I couldn't stop drinking. Alcoholism either was there from the moment I was born and woke up, or became something that I acquired. Mm-hmm. But. Um, I lost privileges on the booze and drugs and uh, which sucks because I really wanted to try heroin. And <laughs> so you, you use nothing now. Uh, nothing. We know. Yeah. Yeah. We keep it. We keeps the body clean uh, except for caffeine. And I'm down to like two cigarettes a day, maybe one. Um, but yeah, so that happened and that's like a very slow process. Cause you're basically like the, if, I'm like an image imagery guy. I'm a bad analogy and imagery kind of guy. So like you have a ski slope, right? Like a ski mountain and you got your black diamonds and you have your blues and your greens or whatever it is. You have all these ski trails and all my ski trails led into a trough full of whiskey and regret. Like (laughs) just like jails, hospitals and institutions at the bottom. Did you go to jail? 
I've been to jail a couple times. I for alcohol related stuff. Uh, yeah, booze or drugs was always involved. Okay. I mean, I wasn't. Oh yeah, once I was arrested for booze, and then once I was arrested for. I mean, it's a, such a dumb story. I was in this hip hop group. The name is so bad. Uh, we really, really blew our name. Up. The group was called the Beatards. Oh, um, of course. It's a very bad name. Yeah, I mean, yeah, how old were you? Old enough to know better. I'm okay. sure, 21 <laughs> or 22. That's okay. Um, uh, and uh, we spray painted on the wall in the Lower East Side, like right on Rivington or Essex or one of those. Not Essex. Uh, yeah, Rivington. Delancey. It was on Delancey. We spray painted, the B-tards will outrun you in oh, big God. gold letters. And literally as soon as we finished, it was like, boop, boop. The cops showed up. The B-tards did not run. They did not skip. They did not jog. They did not walk. <laughs> You wrapped. We, we, I mean, we stopped and we stood against the wall as we were cuffed and sent to jail to the tombs. And then, I mean, we were wasted. And then, like, I went and st- stood in front of the judge the next day, and the judge was like, The defendant said, But I'm in a hip hop group called the B Tards. Check out our MySpace page. And that was the proof that I was the one who, that, I was guilty because I said the name of the name that was on the wall. And they were like, this idiot. <laughs> so then I, I mean, when things like that happen, it's, it's very funny. And you're sort of yeah. like with your friends and you're like, this isn't a problem. It's yeah. whatever. It's just like what it is. You know what I mean? Like no big deal. Um, but yeah, so getting sober was really tough because, like I said, you're on a ski slope. All of my trails lead to demise, but they're trails. It takes years to make a ski, like to make a natural trail. Mm-hmm. So imagine taking that that same mountain, and now you have to dig. You have to first cover up the old trails, and then you have to make new ones. And these ones can't go into a trough of whiskey and regret. These ones have to go into like making the bed, brushing the teeth, wearing clean clothes, doing your taxes, like getting. Oh, so you were that like it was that bad where you weren't taking care of yourself. Yeah. Like um, getting a valid driver's license, paying your registration, like paying back taxes, uh, going to the dentist, going to the doctor. Like, Did you drink as a teen? No. It kind of started 20s? Yeah, it really just took off in my late 20s. It really well, took off. When you said like this, you know, it was so funny when that happened. So I so I, I use a lot of weed, um, but I feel really good about my relationship with it. It, it. It's, and same with alcohol. Like I have like a couple, you know, a couple drinks, maybe a week, really depending. But I, I got to a place where I only use it when I'm in a positive headspace, like I do not even go near anything when I'm in a negative headspace. I just know, um, I'm also medicated. So like, I can't abuse anything, but I have nostalgia for those late twenties days 
Cause it was like the stories were so good. Like, Oh my God, I got so fucking wasted. And I punched this cab window cause it almost hit me. And then I told this girl to fuck off. And like, you know, like all those like debauchery stories, but then when you yeah. look back at them, you're like, ew, like my body was just like sweaty, <laughs> just like yeah, heavy and tired. And just like, I, not even physically, but I just felt like I was always carrying like, pound i remember this i remember i had an audition for best week ever which was a show on vh1 for anyone who doesn't remember and the night before i had a strip story show at comics Mm -hmm. and i was married was i married i think i was married but there was this guy whose attention i really wanted who would give me attention and then not give me attention and he wasn't giving me attention and I remember I got very drunk and I had the audition at 9 a.m., I think, or 10 a.m., something early. And then I went in the bathroom. And I, I think this happened. I can't remember if I was drinking my drink or a drink that I found. Ugh. And then uh, he was, I, I broke the glass. Like I like threw the glass against the wall in the bathroom, cried in the stall, went back upstairs, did shots, didn't go to bed till 3 and then showed up for this best week ever audition at 10 a.m. Like so hungover and just like not funny because it was like a sad drunk that I got the night before. And yeah. then I would like complain to my friends and be like, I don't know why I'm not booking anything. Yeah, like, that was that was me too. I missed a yeah. lot of auditions. I mean, my biggest thing, this is like, it's not big anymore for me, but it is like the story. It's my like hot story. Yeah, give it to me. Was basically Lynn, my buddy from Freestyle Love Supreme, Lynn Manuel Miranda, who is like, for some oh? reason, no, just kidding. Well, for some reason, people <laughs> is like people are mad at Lynn now. They're like picking on my good best buddy because really? he right, yeah. People are like upset with him about In the Heights, and oh, he's right. got a new movie called Vivo coming out or Viva or something. Of all, like the way the world works, man. This motherfucker. He just like has a wife that he's faithful to, has two sons that he takes care of, takes care of his parents, his family, everybody around him eats. He writes show tunes and kids songs for cartoon movies. And y'all are coming at him. Why? This is the, he plays video games. He wears, he wears like Shakespeare t-shirts and he's been wearing the same jeans since he was 24. It's like, which I just don't get it. But anyway, Lynn wrote, I mean, of all the people, <laughs> that dude is too, oh, man. And he's got, a, you know, asymmetrical goatee. If you're going to knock him for anything, knock him for his facial hair. But like. <laughs> people are going to always knock people for something. It's such just, bullshit. It's the way the world works. It sucks. Everyone's so, a critic. So Lynn wrote this role of Aaron Burr in Hamilton with me in mind. And I sort of, the short version is I drank myself out of that role. I, I oh did it a couple God. times and I sort of crashed and burned and sort of lost. If you want to say lost, but then if you, anyone who's seen Leslie Odom Jr. knows that like, I didn't lose that role. God put us in the position that we were in. I needed to like do what I had to do. And Leslie is the embodiment of Oh God, that guy's just so fucking talented. He's so good. It's not even, I mean, he just lives and breathes 
that style, that genre, that art form. So um, I don't think that there was would have been any competition at the end of the day. But for me, it was a big deal. Um, I got sober, cleaned up, I've been writing. And then I realized over this pandemic, when we were talking about what my mother was saying about like having a short fuse, getting angry, I just have like a hypersensitivity to stimulus. Mm -hmm. I have like a very anxious disposition. I have been prone without even knowing it to depression my whole life. I just thought that's how people were. I just mm -hmm. thought you just Same. sort of generally wouldn't, weren't really fucking with breathing all the time. Just like every now and then you'd be like, nah, I'm good. I think I'm going to take this one off. Yeah. Um, I just, but when you get married and you have children, the ability to have moody, moody me, the moody me's goes out the window. Yeah. The sound level in your home goes up to 15. The activity in the home goes up to 25, 30. Like it, I mean, I don't know what the scale is, but it's one to five. It's one to five. <laughs> the shit's at 30. Yeah. So all of my senses are in overload. I'm still me. I still have a good heart. I'm still put my family first. I still do everything I do for my wife and children. I know that in my heart. It's just the sound. It's just so much stimulus. Well, do you, I mean, have and, you been to therapy? Dude, tons of therapy. I'm, I'm sure she's told you or he, you know, growing up in a loud household is going to make you very sensitive to that. Maybe. Yeah. But I mean, at least uh, I think that for me, I don't know. I can't speak for you, obviously, but if you well, grew up with all that noise. I guess, I guess. Yeah. And then there was like, and then I just tried some medicine. What like, you, can I ask what you're on? Um, you don't have to tell me. Well, I've tried a couple different things. I don't want to say anything because then I don't want anyone who's going through it to to think that I have an answer. But oh, I will say, right. I will say that like I had to try a couple different things mm -hmm. um, that made me feel like weird, and I don't want it to affect anyone else. Because what if I'm like the thing? Because it's all subjective. So the thing that made me feel weird will might make somebody else feel amazing. Yeah, you're right. I never realized because I, I, I always make jokes about Zoloft because. Yeah. I mean, that didn't, <laughs> it didn't work for me. It works great for me. Yeah. So that really put me in a bad, bad physical space in my mm. chest and my neck and body and my tummy. Like I just didn't like it. And then I found something that really works. And I'm telling you, like my wife has been gone for a month mm -hmm. and she's going to be gone for another month with the kids. And I'm alone here in Montreal. And usually solitude is like a real bad place for me to be. It's like there's a lot of loneliness and woe is me's and I can't do this and boo-hoo, caca, pee-pee, poo-poo, caca, pee-pee all over myself and inside of my soul. But like this is a big time that you're catching me at. I'm by myself. I'm working. I'm hitting my... I'm in a 12-step program and I go to those meetings every day. I'm in contact with mostly men, no men and women who are 
going through or the same things that I go through. I'm in contact with them on a daily basis. I'm in a spiritual practice. We call it like meditation, prayer, whatever. What you guys might call it the law of attraction or manifestation. I don't I don't know what the fuck it is, but it's um it works. Then I also do my freestyle. I rap, so I'll put the beats on and I'll just rap for maybe an hour a day just to like keep the the muscle flexing. And then I go hit the streets. I found my local comic book shop. Oh, yeah. I found my local comic book shop. The guy's name is Rob. The place is called Captain Quebec. He's super dope. He likes G.I. Joe's. He loves G.I. Joe's. I love G.I. Joe's. So we like, because I went and I bought like this G.I. Joe box set of like 48 issues. And he was like, yeah, good choice. And I was like, you know about the Joe's? He's like, I know everything about the Joe's. So I found my local spot. I found the Indian restaurant across the street so I can get my sort of home feel. Mm-hmm. And I have my dog, Disco, here who's right there. And her and I spend time together. And I was telling – what do you call it? The people who, who fix your brain but they can give you medicine? Is it Psychiatrist? The psych- yeah, psychiatrist. Yeah. Um, I was like – And I mean, before she left, I was at home in LA working on this job and like swimming every day and going out in the sun. And everyone listening to this, who's like a normal human being who got the manual on life, you're like, yeah, that sounds like what I do every day. Like I'm in a new city and yeah, I swim. Yeah. I do the things I like doing too. And I, I'm, you know, I'm not defective, but I'm different and I'm not built the way that you are. So those things don't come naturally to me. I I need to set up a bunch of routines and mechanisms and tools that all help sort of conspire in my favor so that I can have the most optimal life, but it doesn't come naturally to me. That being said, I... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Ask your question. I was going to say, do you... Do you think it comes naturally to a lot of people? Because I... um, Yeah, dude. <laughs> I think really? some people... Yeah, I think there are some people when you look at them and go, hey, man, what are you thinking? Or, uh, And they go, nothing. They mean it. And they oh. have the privilege and joy of a quiet mind every now and then. Hmm. And they can just go, ah, oh, what a nice sunset. I'm just going to sit here. See, I think in my mind, and maybe this is what you were saying earlier about thinking everyone operates the way that I do and like the depression is normal and anxiety is, you know, like all that stuff. I, yes, I agree that there's some people like that, but I don't know, maybe it's just my poking around. I want to like poke around their brain. I do think everyone has something though. Yeah. Like maybe they're able to have a quiet mind, but there's something else. Yeah, I, I think there that everyone is unique. I mean, we have these amazing machines that we live in. And yeah. these human bodies have come with thousands of years of genetic tweaking and cross-pollination and all kinds of evolution that hasn't caught up to society yet. Like, it's wild. It's 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 an amazing experiment that we're living in. And all of us have our own little unique superpowers Mm -hmm. that that we need to tap into 
um, I'll just, you know, sum up what I was just saying is I started taking this medicine and all of a sudden I was like operating at like a average of like a seven or an eight every day with like contentment, like (laughs) actual just dancing in the house, singing along to music, sitting outside in the sun, going for walks, laughing, just like generally I'm like, oh my God, is this what normal people feel like all the time? Just regular? Because I feel regular as fuck right now. <laughs> and and it's like a really nice feeling to just be- Did it be, scare you at first, the contentment? Mm, the, well, I mean, if you want to, we call it disaster baiting. If you want to disaster bait. Oh, interesting. That's a great term. If you if I want to disaster bait, then sure, there's another shoe and it will drop at any moment. And you know, uh, all the the their sinkhole will open up underneath me and I'll fall into the center of the earth and melt. And um but I will feel all of it as the flesh melts off my body. <laughs> but um, you know. And then my wife will look down and say, I never loved him anyway. And (laughs) your children aren't, your children were never yours. Thank God. You know, that kind of thing. That's the full, that's a full disasterbation right there. Um, I would have that. And I would also sometimes, not so much anymore, but when I first started feeling content, I guess balance is probably also another word for it. I would not only feel nervous. I would feel guilty like I was doing something wrong because mm. there's always something to worry about or be scared of or be upset about. And sometimes contentment, especially when I had my child, because I had her during the pandemic. There wasn't, I mean, outside, the outside world was falling when, what, apart. When was her, when's her birthday? July. It was, it was July. So July. Yeah. So we had our boy in April. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Of 2020 or yeah, 2020. So I, I, you know, what was so interesting about that time is like my cocoon, my family cocoon was very content because, because nothing was going on career-wise and I couldn't, there was nothing for me to seek out career-wise really because it was all in pause. I found contentment in doing the laundry while dancing in front of my baby and you know, hanging out with her and like just all these sort of normal people stuff. And it was wild, wild to feel that way. I think, yeah, I think I I hit like a heavy pressure pocket when Boomi was born um, of just like needing to provide for the family, how I was going to do that. Also like my relationship changed with my wife. Like it just becomes different. You guys go through a lot to have a baby and put and after the baby like dad's joke we joke with each other about how we are literally invisible people in our own homes like we joke about how we are the lowest common denominator in every equation it's like we have why should they give a shit about us oh my god i feel the opposite i feel like sometimes nobody gives a shit about me and they're all like he's such a great dad Oh, that's, but well, maybe on the outside, but inside the house, it's like, we got my wife who's hustling, right? She's literally providing life to another human being. We have a six-year-old who's like, hey man, 
if you don't watch me for an hour, I'm for sure going to like eat a nail or like jump in the pool or do something crazy just to get, you know, cause I'm six. Yeah. And then we have the dog. We got the baby, obviously, who's like the nuclear um, reactor of the family right now because he's the one who can't stay alive without <laughs> without constant supervision. And then you got the dog. And then you got Pops, who's like, I just want to take a nap. <laughs> like, how do I? And like, I needed, I needed a lot of support and to recalibrate. And thank God. The, here's the other thing I'll say about you were talking about the guilt of contentment. Mm -hmm. So the only thing that I've felt, and it's a very new feeling for, you know, your listeners. It's like, this is brand new for me. I'm like 60 days into like feeling like a human for the first oh, time. That new. Yeah. I mean, it's like the, for the first time in my life that when I'm you like. When first got sober, did you feel, was it like building slowly? Well, when I first got sober, I was stoked. There was like so much self-respect and I cleaned up mm -hmm. my life and my career. Obviously, if you can like do the Google or whatever, my career is like, as far as my definition of success, it's I'm working, I'm showing up on time, I'm being respectful, I'm mm -hmm. making good relationships with my colleagues and coworkers and I feel like I'm doing a good job and getting better at my craft. And so that's really nice. And I've done some really cool things like um, got to, you know, I missed out on being on Hamilton on Broadway, but I ended up doing Freestyle Love Supreme on Broadway and we won a special okay. Tony. Yeah. And we won a special Tony award for that. And then I'm voicing this Disney junior cartoon, Mira Royal Detective. And it's like the first all South Asian cast. And I'm doing that with like some of my heroes and you know, I'm doing this TV show in Montreal and we got movies and get to work with Jillian Bell and all these amazing people as a result of just like cleaning up the body. But even then, I still was like, I was like waking up sad or like kind of disassociating at times. Um, like daydreaming. <laughs> And I'd be like, oh, that means I need to go to a 12-step meeting. But really, it's like depression that I just didn't know about. Mm -hmm. So like I, I, if you don't know that there's an eight to get, to get to and your ceiling is a five, like you're around a three or a four sometimes. And that's mm -hmm. like three out of ten sucks. Yeah, it does. It's a pupukaka place to be, dude. And I didn't know. But I was like, oh, some days I'm just like, you know, for like two, three, four, five days, I'm just putting on my boots and getting out the door. And for me, I was like, well, where I used to just stay in bed, now I'm doing stuff while I feel like shit. Yeah. So, so it's like moving up. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, so that's the best it's going to be. The best it's going to be is I show up and I'm still the same person regardless of what's happening inside. But what's and so cool is that it might even get even better. Maybe. I think so. I'm really excited for life now, as it were. But like, oh. um, so there's no guilt because the only feeling is like, man, fuck, what if I started taking medicine 10 years ago? Like, I think about the people who I've been close with who have sort of had to be bear the brunt of what I now know was like mental illness. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I feel bad for them. 
Like I, I and I feel bad for myself because I know that I was sick and I didn't know any better. Yeah. And there was no like, there's no, um, and these aren't like, I mean, my level of bad behavior is probably for other people, like not much. But, but it didn't feel good. That's all. Yeah. yeah. We gauge our own, we gauge our own guilt and shame, right? It's it's sort of like you, my, my pool might be very small. I might be wading in a baby pool, but it's, you know, it's the only thing I know. Yeah. So I don't feel bad. Like I'm excited for my children. Um, yeah. Do they get a better, not a better, but a, you've done work on the version of yourself. You know what I mean? Like it's not, hopefully, at least my hope with my child is that she's not going to be the one to have to sit me down and say, mommy, can you please go to therapy? I'm like, oh, I've been, I, yes, I'm already there. You know what I mean? Cause like in, yeah. 2000, in 2007, I, my, my therapist at the time suggested medicine and my doctor pres- gave me a prescription and I never took it. Cause I, I read all these articles that said, Oh, it's going to change your personality. It's going to make you numb. And I was like, well, part of my, you know, whatever I was going through, I thought was like my, my persona. I thought that was my persona to be a mess. Yeah. Hell yeah, dude. I mean, that was a big thing for me too. I I got, but also I was given medication probably around that same time or 2009, 10, but then I drank heavily. Oh yeah. That's gonna. While using it, which, which didn't work. And when I got sober, that was a big shift. Um, in what I'm looking for now as a performer, because before it was like, let's just get to the part where we're fucked up and seeing what happens. Like, let's get through this rapidy rap so that we can have fun. And then it's like, well, now I'm here for only the rapidy raps. And the after party is not what it used to be. The after party is now a ginger beer, a Coke. I mean, for the first year, it was just like the after party was like going maybe to get food with one person and then going home. Mm-hmm. And like making some calls and being like, oh, I'm full of adrenaline. I don't know if I like that. That was really bad. It wasn't fun. I don't know why I'm doing this. I, I think I'm, I think I was better when I was high. Like maybe I never liked this. Do I need to change my profession? What the fuck is going yeah. on? And then you keep doing it and you're like, Oh, there's a craft here. You know, this is for other people. They're like, yeah, dude, you got to <laughs> like, yes, that's why we like doing it for the craft. I'm like, I don't fuck this shit. I'm craft. I just was good at it. They gave me an award in high school, buddy. I kept going. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's something, there's a deeper level of truth and vulnerability to find. And it's nice to sort of get better. And I've, made three, four albums, my ability to be productive and prolific is getting better every day. And I'm also uh, like, uh, still have these crazy stories, even when I'm sober, like I went to some premiere of something, I'm wearing a suit. And then I ended up at a club and John Mayer's there and Dave Chappelle's there and they do some stand up for like four hours and I go home and I don't even know how, but Dave Chappelle's phone ended up in my fucking jacket pocket. And at four in the morning, his wife's calling like, who's this? And I'm like, ah, Utkarsh, who's this? And she's like, 
was, and she's like, uh, this is Dave's wife. And I'm like, Dave who? Dave Chappelle? What the fuck is happening right now? Oh my God. And did I, you go through his phone? No way. <laughs> no. No chance. No, I didn't even know whose phone it was. I was like, whose fucking phone is this, dude? Did, what is, you got it back to him? Yeah, I had to drive to the back to the club. I can't remember somewhere in Beverly Hills at 1 a.m. No, 4 a.m. and 3 a.m., whatever it was. And I had to give his like, and they're looking at me like, man, why'd you take his phone? I'm like, bro, I don't, I have no idea. This is my jacket. I've been wearing it all night. Well, I have no clue. I'm stone cold sober. There's like, I don't know what to tell you, but there's still, I mean, that's like a long winded way of saying there's way, 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 way more fun to be had in clarity than there ever was in fog for me. And my wife is like Kiwi. She's from New Zealand. So She's crazy as fuck. Like she has bungee jumped some 20, 30 times. She skydives. She's like got the tattoos. She's strong as fuck. She worked on a farm. She's worked tons of odd jobs. Like she's just like not a fearful person at all. And as a result, while I have a proclivity towards very high anxiety, Mm -hmm. um, she doesn't. And our kids are fearless. And what makes me really happy is that because I've got a routine in place that takes care of my mental quirks, I can allow them to be fearless without without stopping them, you know, without... That just gave me, like, chills. I love so it. It's super cool to see, like, my son, who's a year and a half, like, dude, they just, they're in Queenstown, New Zealand. They went up on to the top of a mountain... And luged down. A one and a half year old baby went in a go-kart, steered the motherfucker down with my wife sitting behind him and just like zoomed down a hill at like 30 miles an hour. He's on going on slides. He's running all over the place. He's petting dogs, animals. He's chasing chickens. He's like, nothing is off limits. My daughter is an incredible swimmer because she just jumped in the pool. And then we jumped in with her. And taught her how to swim when she was three, three and a half. And I would never do that. Yeah. That's just me following Same. my wife's lead. And now I don't get mad at her for making me feel afraid. Like, I'm like, how? don't do that. Don't do do do. And also it's a partnership. So she knows too. Like, sometimes it's like, yo, dude, you guys to like, don't let this motherfucker be eating shit off the ground. Okay. I don't like that. But we have like, I just got a really great partner who's super patient and who sort of sees the best parts of me and understands the real, the worst parts of me. And that's the balance, that's balance though. I mean, that's all you want. I, I've said this many times. Like I think the number one thing that makes my husband and I work is we have completely opposite anxieties. Hmm. He has anxiety and I have anxiety, but they are completely different. Like I'm not really a big I'm not, he's more of a hypochondriac danger person. And I'm more of a social anxiety, what do people think person Mm. mixed with depression. And Mm. he's, and it's, and he's more OCD. And it is so great because if we had the same anxieties, it would never work. We can just like, and we're both comedians. So we like can make fun of each other, but in like a really loving way and keep each other in check. And like you were saying earlier about telling people the truth, like, Sometimes when he's pointing out at me, hey, you're being like really insecure. 
it, it kill, it hurts so much to hear, but it's like, thank you. Like I thank you. Okay. What, well, what, let, let me go back and look. Okay. I was on my phone a lot. Oh, I was doing compare and despair. Oh, I, you know, didn't get enough sleep. Oh, I, you know, whatever it is. So I'm really grateful to have somebody who not only understands mental health because they're currently exploring their own mental health as well. So there's like a forgiveness there, but they also don't let me get, they don't let me use my quirks as like an excuse to not be my best. Yeah, but Will's a ball hog, man. He needs to start passing the ball. I wouldn't, I would, I would take everything that dude tells you with a grain of salt because. I feel like you only, we, I, we should wrap up, but I feel like you agreed to do this podcast only so you could shit on my husband as a basketball player. That motherfucker, he just goes for self, man. I tell you, he's a, he's a black hole. You pass the ball to Will Miles. It's never coming out. It's going one way towards the hoop. And you just got to rebound. Basically, when Will gets the ball, box out. Start boxing out. Well, for, any, for everyone listening, I hope what you got from this episode is uh, to not play basketball with my husband. I think that's the most important thing to walk away with. Um, He's a very sweet man. He's always smiling. <laughs> He's a, he's a, he's a, I like him a lot. I like talking to him, but, uh, yeah, he just, uh, I, I can't imagine sharing a child in a household with him. Wow. Wow. I'm going to end there. I am going to ask you one very important question. I ask all my guests before I end the show. Um, should I get bangs? Um, I don't know. This is okay. not, I think, have you ever had them? Yes. They take a long time to come in, don't they? They take a long time to grow out. I think you're beautiful. Oh, my God. Thank you. So I wasn't even looking for a compliment, but I'll take I think it. you look great. Oh, thank you so much. Gosh, this was... Who decided that bangs were even a thing we had to do? Yeah. what You know who it was? The white popular people that were born with American parents. Come to find it was a very old Italian woman. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... It's like a strictly Italian practice yeah. from the 1400s. <laughs> It's all your fault. Is there anything people, you're in a new movie, right? Yes, I'm in a movie called Free Guy with Ryan Reynolds, Jodie Comer, Taika Waititi, and Joe Keery and Lil Rel Howery. That opens in theaters and only in theaters on August 13th of 2021. Um, And in October, I'll be uh, co-starring with Rose McIver and many other amazing talents in a CBS sitcom called Ghosts based on the BBC show, the same name. Amazing. Ukarsh, thank you so much for being on the show. Hell yeah, thanks. I really have to call my mom because I wonder what she wanted to talk to me I about. I know. I hate it when people call and say, I need to talk to you about something. I think it's because my dad is in India with my grandmother and he's been asking me to call and I haven't called. And I think okay. my mom's calling to tell me I'm in trouble. Basically okay. the same exact thing that you just said to your mother about calling your dad. Yeah. So go have fun. Enjoy your family. Tell Will. Okay. Give him a big hug and tell I him will. I can't wait to play basketball with him again. Okay. Truly. Seriously. Tell him <laughs> I can't wait to see him. He's we're such a sweet guy. Yeah, we're all going to hang out for sure. All right. Lots of love to you. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. My plan was to have my sister on at the end of this episode to give her 
psychological insight. Uh, and it's been a while since I've had her on. Um, but I am traveling with my child. And um, if you know anything about babies, it's hard to plan with babies. If you know anything about life, it's hard to plan with life. Uh, that's that's definitely what I learned after the pandemic. Um, so I couldn't get it together to uh, have her on the show and give her insight. Um, I feel like a lot of episodes I say, hey, I couldn't get it together. It's like, okay, just do your thing, Julia. You don't need to over-explain yourself. Um, that being said, uh, I'm currently recording this from uh, my hometown where I have been spending time with my um, immigrant Italian family that we talked about a little bit in this episode. I'm a very loud family uh and you know it is what it is they're loud and i love them and sometimes i'm loud and i'm i'm learning to love me for that uh yeah this was such a great episode i loved talking to ukarsh um i really related to so much of what he said uh as i've talked about before in the podcast i've i've definitely experienced uh and still experience at times that feeling of finding my worth in uh, career validation, other people validating me. And maybe that's something I'm going to be working on forever, but uh, it it's definitely gets better uh, as each year passes and the more work I do on myself. So honestly, it was kind of cool to hear someone like Ukarsh, who I view as extremely, you know, successful and positive, uh, goes through the same struggles. So I hope if you take anything away from this episode, it's that everyone is going through shit, no matter how they seem online, how they seem, you know, career-wise, they've all got shit. So, you know, I hope that offers you some comfort. Uh, I hope as always you are enjoying the show. Oh, I never promote stuff uh for myself i realize so um next week on august what is it august 9th uh monday i'm gonna be filming um some stand-up for a show that eliza schlesinger she's a comic um that you may know of uh, a show that she's putting together in los angeles at a venue called kiss kiss bang bang um, it's a taping, uh, at 7 PM Monday in Los Angeles. If you'd like to come, uh, I have the info on my website, julierazzi.com and Instagram and Twitter. Uh, you just have to be vaccinated to attend. And then August 19th, Thursday, August 19th, I believe that's the date. Um, I'm going to be co-headlining, uh, at Faded Denver. That's the name of the show. Um, with my husband, Will Miles, who uh, we've talked about a lot on this episode. Uh, We're going to be co-headlining in Denver. Uh, You can get information at fadedcomedydenver.com. And uh, that show is going to be at at Oscar Blues Brewery in Denver. Brewery. I never say that word right. Brewery? Brewery. That's it. Uh, And yeah, that's it. As always, please rate, review, subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get shows. And uh, I'll talk to you next week. Bye.